Well, like Michael said, we're starting a new series today. And let me just say a couple of things as we, as we just jump in. This is going to be a five-week series that I'm going to be teaching. So it'll carry on into the first week or so of, of February. And the, uh, each week is going to build on the prior week. Okay? So that doesn't mean that if you miss one week, you're going to be total, you're, you miss the whole thing. There'll be something you can glean. But if you really want to get the most out of this series, I want to strongly encourage you, ask you, come close to beg you, try to come each week. If you miss a week because you're sick, you're out of the country, you're abducted by aliens, on Monday, we put the, the, all the sermons on, online on Monday. If you go to our website, you can download this uh, and listen to the, to, the, uh, to the sermon, but it'll be very valuable to follow the flow because as I said, each week will build on the prior week. And as you may notice, I, I, I'm trying to give uh, a good, maybe even ex- more expanded outline than we usually give on Sunday mornings uh, so that you can really take notes so that you can... Uh, not only sometimes it helps to, to remember and, and understand when you take notes, but also it'll give you something by the end of the series that you'll have, a, have a, a, a set of notes that will be good to look back on, that'll be good in helping you to refresh yourselves so you can be equipped to share it with somebody else. So let, let me ask this, how many of you, now I know that not everybody are note takers, but how many of you, if we, if we went ahead and got, you know, these little kind of folders that you can put your little three-ringed uh, notes in, how many of you would use them if we got them for you starting next week? Okay, we'll go ahead and we'll get those. But take notes, come to all the, uh, the weeks, listen if you, if you can't make it, and I, I think this is going to be very valuable. Let me, let me just say, today is, is introduction. Starting next week, we'll get in the meat of the actual gospel of wholeness, as I refer to it. Today is introduction. It's laying some foundations that are going to be extremely helpful to understand not only where we're headed, but why this is going to be important information. What is the gospel of wholeness? The gospel of wholeness, simply put, is a practical theology of sanctification. But I recognize if if I call this a practical theology of sanctification, no one would come. You know, it just doesn't communicate. So we call it the gospel of wholeness. But let me break that down, what I mean by a practical theology of sanctification. By practical, what I'm saying is that this Uh, information that I'll be sharing relates to everyday life. It's not just theory. It relates to everyday life. It's something that is is able to be implemented. It's something that's able to be used. It is, I am very confident that by the end of the series, if if you come and if you you draw in and, and listen, you're going to have some tools that are going to make your Christian life, your walk and your connection with Jesus, your understanding of what makes you tick and how you can cooperate with the purposes that God has for you, you'll have tools that you'll learn and you'll be able to implement that's going to make your Christian 
life far more, not just fulfilling, but far more fruitful. So it's practical. It's not theory. It's able to be used and implemented. It's a practical theology. And, and simply put by theology, I mean it has to do with who God is and our understanding and our ability to cooperate with who God is and what he's doing. It's a practical theology of sanctification. Sanctification is just the, the biblical term that refers to the process of God making us more and more like him. It's the process of God working in our lives so that we can conform to his image. God wants us to reflect him in how we think, in how we respond, in how we react, in our motivations, in our desires. But if, if you're like me, it, I'm very aware that that doesn't work always very well. I don't, re, I don't relate to myself like you would want me to. I don't relate to others like he'd, want, like he'd want me to all the time. And I don't relate to him as he would want to. So sanctification is the process of us becoming who we were designed to be. Becoming more and more like Jesus. You see, 40, I don't know, 45 years ago, or 46 years ago, when I became a Christian, I mean, I was a huge jerk. I mean, I was, there, I was a messed up person. Now, as time has passed, and this process of sanctification has taken place, I'm just a medium-sized jerk now. And I'm trusting that the day may come where I'm just going to be a relatively small jerk, that's in the future, but the day's coming. But God is at work. God desires to change us. God desires us to catch up with who we were designed to be, and he's at work in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. But sanctification is not only a work that God is doing in us, but it's a work that we can cooperate with. It's a work that we can come in and, and, and walk with Christ as he's doing these things in our lives. But we need to understand how to cooperate. That's what we're going to be talking about as we go through the gospel of wholeness. So I, I want to encourage you to, to really listen. It, it's easy in, in, in teachings like this, especially the teachings that will become very practical in these weeks to come, it's easy to listen for somebody else. Oh man, that's a point. I, Larry, I wish Larry was listening to this. He needs to hear that. You know, and man, if my mother could only, I'm going to get my mother that tape. She needs to hear what Danny just said. And we, we listen for somebody else and that's fine because one of the applications of the gospel of wholeness is going to be to equip us to help others and to come alongside others who are, who are stuck in, in, in this transition of becoming like Christ. It's, it's fine to, to listen for others, but the reason why you have two ears is so that though we are naturally going to listen for others, we, we need to use one ear to listen for ourselves. And I want to encourage you as, as I go through these next, these next weeks to make sure 
that you're thinking, how does this apply to my life? Is this true in my life? Do I get stuck in this part of this process of becoming more and more like Jesus? You with me? Good. So, you know, year, years ago, I, I lived in Los Angeles. I was going to Bible school there. That's actually where I met Penny. And I had a roommate. His name was Steve. And, and Steve he is a great guy, but he, he had, like we all do, he had you know, his idiosyncrasies. And one of the things that Steve would do as a, just a habit is every time he entered a room or came into a, you know, a setting where other people were at, he would just say, what on earth is going on here? And at first, you know, when I first met Steve and he would say that, he'd come into, you know, my, my room, my uh, bedroom, and he'd say, well, what on earth is going on in here? And, and I thought it's kind of cute and quaint. And after a week or so, I thought, well, that's a little odd, you know, it's okay. And, but after two years, he's my roommate for two years. After two years, it was like, Okay, go ahead and say it, get it out of your system. And it, it, it lost its quaintness. But actually, it's, it's a very good question. We need to understand if we're going to be, if we're going to be the people of God, if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to understand who we are and, who, and how to connect to ourselves, how to connect to others, how to connect to God, understanding this fundamental question of what on earth is God doing is, is essential. How we view this world, how we view our lives is essential because our worldview, our understanding of what on earth is happening will dictate and direct how we function in life. In other words, if, if we are just e evolving from microbes, if we are just totally existing in this, this life by chance, then that bumper sticker I saw once that said, whoever has the most toys when they die wins, it has some relevance, you know, it's probably true. If, we're, if there's no purpose in our life other than evolving by chance. If, however, what the scriptures say is true and what Jesus taught is true, that we are created for a purpose, if what the scriptures say is true, that God has designed for each one of us individually and uniquely good works, plans for us to walk in, a plan that is, and a, and a, and a road that is, is different than anybody ever else who ever existed on this earth, if indeed God knows us, designed us, wired us, and created us for specific purpose, then then our life takes on tremendous significance. So it's important to know what on earth God is doing. It's important to understand how Christ has called us and what Christ wants to do through us and how to cooperate and fall in line with and become comfortable in those purposes. If it's true that God is, is the, the, the divine potter and we're the clay, 
then understanding how we can cooperate and not resist as he forms us. That's important. That's valuable. So if we've been created to walk with God and to to know him, then understanding how to connect with him, how to cooperate is, is really rather essential. And I want to frame that out. We'll be talking a little bit about that today and then developing it and becoming extremely practical over these next five weeks. So what on earth is God doing? Well, well, the first thing I would say is that God has chosen for us to be a, a people, not just an individual relationship with him, coming to, to discover who we were meant to be, who we're designed to be, what his plans for us are, but he's also desi- he has designed, uh, designed us to function as part of the people of God. God wants us to have individual relationship with him, but he also wants us to, to come and know him corporately as part of, as part of his church. We're called to be the, the household of God. The, the word that is translated church, the Greek word is the word ekklesia. And it means the called out ones, those who've been separated. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a specific intention for, for others who are, who are not part of the church, who, who, who have no relationship with God. But what he's saying is, my church are those people who have, have chosen to enter, to come into this right relationship with him. The church are those who he's, he has called out as he's called all humanity, but these are the ones who are, are attempting to cooperate and to be conformed and shaped and, and sanctified, becoming the people of God, the household of God, the family of God. You know, it's interesting that the word, the household of God, which is used in the, the scriptures fairly frequently, this, the word, the Greek word household is, is translated from is the Greek word therapeos. It's the word we get therapy from. The, the church is to be a therapeutic community. Now, it doesn't mean that we're to, to psychoanalyze each other. It doesn't mean that every time we talk to somebody else, we're, we have to you know, lay down on a couch and, and, and share the deepest things of our heart. But what it does refer to, what it's implying, the reason why that word was, was chosen, therapeos was chosen, is because the, the people of God, the household of God, is meant to be a context where this, the, the hand of God can bring wholeness and healing and vision and purpose. It's the, the church of God, the household of God, this, this therapeutic community is to be a place where we can be, become whole, where we can grow into the purposes and into the image of Christ. The scriptures say that we have the righteousness of Christ. I look in the mirror and I look at my life and I think, not me. But this, this concept of sanctification is me catching up to what the Bible says is true. See, the Bible speaks to certain 
truths that are absolute. It tells me who I'm meant to be. But there's a gap. Because there are positional truths, truths that say, this is who you are, Danny. You have the righteousness of Christ. You are holy and blameless. And my job is to say, oh, Lord, but I'm not. Come work in me. Come and fix me. Help me become what you say is true positionally so it's true in my life and in my practice. Now, we never fully get sanctified, not in this side of heaven. We never fully are transformed into the image of Christ. But I want to be on a journey in this life where I can more and more see and experience who God has called me to be, experience those purposes, experience how to connect with God, how to connect with the, the, the household of God in healthy ways and how to, to come and connect with myself. So what on earth is God doing? God has invited us into a relationship with him. That's foundational. That's absolutely foundational. Before and in order to understand who I am and why I am, I need to learn how to not just in theory or as a, as a theological concept have relationship with God. I need to understand how indeed do I connect with God? How do I actually have a relationship with God like I can have a relationship with others? If, if I'm going to come to understand how to connect with God's people, how to be part of the church, how to be woven together with others, with my unique gifts and your unique gifts and my purposes and your purposes, if I'm going to understand how to be woven together, then I need to understand that starts with understanding who he is and coming into this relationship with him. Again, not a theoretical relationship, but a practical, experiential relationship with him. Make sense? If, if we need to understand that this concept of having a relationship with God is, is the miracle of Christianity. It's, it's the substance, it's the, the very foundation and the glory of the Christian life that we can be a people who know God, who learn to experience and grow in our ability to distinguish his voice in the midst of all the other voices swirling around where we can experience and learn to recognize those gentle nudges as he's steering us and designing us to, to walk in his purposes. That we can know him, again, not as a, a theological reality, but we could also know him as an experiential reality and see and experience his, his, his conviction so that when I'm walking away, and I'm, I'm getting off the path that he set for me, I can experience that, that father's touch pulling me around, 
calling me back onto the, the road that he set for me. See, I, I want to be a, an individual and I want to be part of a church family that understands that knowing God is something that will affect us every single day, every moment, in the same way that when I married Penny, it wasn't just some theoretical concept. We live our lives together now for the last 43 years and we affect each other. It's very real. It's experiential. And over those 43 years, we've learned to understand and listen. We've learned to hear. We learned about each other. We've learned how to connect. It didn't just happen naturally. It's, a, it's been a process as well. No different than in our relationship with God. So what on earth is God doing? He's invited us into this relationship with Christ. And as I said, this is the core of our purposes. This relationship with Christ and with his church and, and quite frankly, with, with ourselves, understanding who we are, it's not easy because we're broken. It, it, it's not natural to, in our broken self to be able to connect with Christ. It doesn't happen naturally, in case you hadn't noticed, to, to have wonderful, warm, connected relationships with every other human being. Outside the church, much less inside the church, it's something that you need to learn how to do and how to cooperate with. And even how to walk comfortably in your own skin, knowing ourselves and why we are. The gospel of wholeness is all about how do we fix our brokenness? How do we deal with sins committed against us? How do we deal with our own sin? How do we deal with our sinful responses to, to sins committed against us? How do we listen to God? How do we actually cooperate and hear his voice? This is the, what we'll be talking about in very practical ways. So what on earth is God doing? He's invited us into relationship with him. He's helping us to become disciples of Christ. We are called to be disciples. And we've talked about this a lot, so I'm not going to belabor this point. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is an imitator. We are called to be disciples, and that flows from having relationship with him. And we're also, as we've talked about over the last number of months quite a bit, we are called to make disciples. That's why we have the, the Beyond the Building campaign, because we want to be used in making disciples of others. And I fully believe that the gospel of wholeness, what we'll be talking about, what you'll be learning over the next five weeks, is going to help you to help others, to come alongside others who are, are stuck or broken or frustrated in their relationship with God, in their relationships with others, or, or how they view themselves. Invitation into a relationship with Christ, being a disciple, making disciples. You see, the goal of the Christian life isn't sin management. Let me say that again. The, the goal of the Christian life is not sin management. Attempting to, to limit our bad behavior, trying to increase the good behavior. Yet this is the, the gospel that is implicitly taught by most 
and lived by even more. This notion, though we might not say it out loud, we live as though we relate to others in the church as though the real goal is just to try to sin less. Try to be good more. Now, that sounds noble, but as we'll find, it's, and you probably already know, it's also impossible. I mean, if I could stop sinning today, I would stop sinning today. But there's something about me that's broken. You know, so in my thoughts, in my attitudes, in my reactions, I just see something alive in me that I don't like. There's a, a, sometimes a, like a civil war going on inside of me. We need to practically learn in usable ways how we can not have to succumb to that broken part of ourselves and cooperate in this process of, of becoming more like Christ. So the goal of the Christian life isn't just to manage our sin. You know, here I am, you know, Jesus is going to come back and, and to the best of my ability, I'm just, just going to try to be a, a, a better person. We get up in the morning, I'm going to be a good person today. I'm going to fix this attitude that I don't like. I'm going to relate to that person much better than I did yesterday. I'm going to stop beating myself up. I'm going to stop falling into shame. And, and, but just because we want to do something, it doesn't always happen. But we can learn specific skills that will help it to be happening far more and more regularly. So it's not sin management. Rather, the goal of the gospel, the goal of this Christian life is three things. Let me talk about that. The goal of the, the gospel, the goal of our life with God, number one, is intimacy with Christ. Intimacy with Christ. And that's different than than having knowledge and understanding of who he is. Intimacy of Christ, with Christ goes far beyond something that just takes, from, takes place from the neck up. Intimacy with Christ speaks of this relationship. It speaks of this connection. It speaks of an ability to know how to come into his presence, how to be in his presence, how to maintain his presence, how to experience his presence, how to hear his voice, how to speak to him and not have to wonder whether your, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Intimacy with Christ means that we have a relationship with him in similar fashion to our relationships with others. More than facts, more than just knowledge, knowing him. Years ago, I visited a friend of mine who was in Chicago, and this, this, was, this was many, many, many years ago, and he was a teacher, and he was telling me one of his students was Muhammad Ali's son. And, and I, I'm a boxing fan, I, I especially like Muhammad Ali. And I, I followed his career, and I, 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 it was exciting. He was, I think he was like a second grade teacher. The, the son was about seven years old or so. And he said, Danny, do you want to come to school with me? And I'll introduce you to Ali's son, and you could chat with him during recess. I thought, that'd be great. That'd be a lot of fun. So I went to school with him, 
saw and was introduced, and, and I started chatting, you know, in between, or it was out on, on the playground, I started chatting to Ali's son about my uh, fondness for his father's career. And I was telling his son, you know, I remember when your dad won the heavyweight championship. He, he fought uh, Sonny Liston. No one thought he was going to win. I said, you know, but your dad in the seventh round, he knocked Liston out and he won the championship. And the son was listening, looking at me, his eyes got big. And I said, and then, th then some months later, he, there was a rematch and people thought, oh, okay, he never will beat him again. And your dad, I said, in, in the rematch with Sonny Liston, he knocked him out in the first round. And his son was getting excited hearing these stories. And I said, you know, I, I listened to your dad when he fought, uh, you know, uh, George Foreman in Zaire. And it was a big match. No one thought he was, and he won. And when he fought Frazier and Manila, and I was going on. And the son was taking it all in, and I was beginning to feel pretty hot. I mean, I knew more about his dad than he did. You know, I had all these facts, all this information, all these these tidbits about his father. And then all of a sudden, the son turned to me and he said, I can't wait till tonight when my dad tucks me in. I'm going to talk to him about all these things. And it, like that, all of a sudden I realized all the knowledge I had, all the information I had didn't mount up to anything compared to the relationship and the intimacy that this little boy had with his father, Muhammad Ali. So many of us have, have become satisfied with lots of information about Jesus, but fall very, very short in the, the kind of intimacy that is possible, the kind of relationship to which we've been invited we are designed and created for relationship with God. Isn't that an amazing thought? We are designed and created for relationship, intimacy with God. It's like a jigsaw puzzle that's been all put together. You have that last piece and it just fits in so well and just... You just feel so satisfied when you get that last piece of the puzzle placed. We have been designed, we have been shaped, so we fit in to this relationship with God. That is why we're made. And we can learn, we need to learn how to take hold of that. So what are we called to? We're called to intimacy with Christ. That's the normal Christian life. The goal of the Christian life then, beyond intimacy with Christ, after we have intimacy with Christ, is dependency upon Christ. Once we know him, once we learn to, to listen and hear, once we see his trust, how trustworthy he is, how faithful he is out of relationship, then we begin to depend on him. The goal of the Christian life is intimacy with Christ, followed by dependency on Christ. We lean on him. We trust him. We have faith in him. That's what dependency is all about. Because we have experientially found him to be trustworthy. Just like relationships you have. There are people that you know 
that you recognize I can turn to them in the most difficult of times because I know I can lean on them. I could turn to these, these certain individuals when I'm at my very worst because I know I have a relationship with them that is consistent and they will be faithful and they'll speak truth to me and they'll love me. So out of intimacy with Christ comes dependency upon Christ. But it doesn't stop there. We start with intimacy. We move into dependency on him. And the result, finally, is obedience to Christ. And by that, I mean walking in his plan, coming to, to choose and find and desire his purposes and see his purposes flow out of us. But, but listen to me, this is extremely important. The order, the order of intimacy, dependency, and obedience can't be played with. It has to be in that order. Intimacy first, which results in dependency and then results in obedience. But far, far too many of us, far too many churches, switch that around. We're, we're, we're trying to, to make ourselves or to get someone else to be obedient to God so that they can experience a closer, intimate relationship with God. We start with, with obedience in order to become intimate, and it never works. We love him because he first loved us. Our love, our obedience is always meant to flow out of a deepening, enriching understanding of his love for us. But we, I don't know what it is about humanity. I don't know what it is about us pastors. We, we, we like to preach obedience without helping the person to know that the one who they are obeying has invited them to draw near, without training people to know and experience his great love. So the most natural thing would be obedience, and so that as we draw near, like the clay finding itself in the potter's hand, we can experience and see him shaping us and molding us. Does this make sense? What on earth is God doing? He's bringing us into intimacy with him, which results in dependency upon him, which finally results in obedience to him. And if we reverse that, what we end up with is some dry Christianity. You know, just... Just a Christianity that's like Phariseeism. It's just keeping rules. We run. We wonder sometimes, why is my Christian life so dry? Why do my my children, you know, just not have this this fire or zeal or desire for the Lord? 
Well, is it because we are continually talking to them about obedience and we haven't helped to equip them or help them to have expectation and anticipation and the tools in order to have relationship, in order to have intimacy? We've reversed the order. It becomes dry, it becomes Phariseeism, or it becomes a life of, of great self-condemnation because we always are failing in our obedience and forgetting the intimacy, the love of Christ that woos us closer, that, that motivates us. The gospel, of, of, the gospel of wholeness is how I find how I become intimate and then dependent so that I can be obedient. That's what we'll be talking about. So let me finish this way. How's the church doing? How are we doing in, in finding and in walking in this, this purpose that God has for us here on earth? Intimacy and dependency and obedience. How, how are we doing? What, what I'd say is this. We, we're pretty good with half the gospel. And, and by that I mean we're, we're fairly good as, as evangelical Christians. We're fairly good at understanding and being equipped with the gospel of salvation. Now, I understand there's only one gospel, but bear with me for a second. We understand the gospel of salvation. In other words, we understand how to get saved. We understand that Jesus died for our sins, and I can receive the forgiveness of sins, and I can know that my sins have, have been paid for. We are well aware of that theological truth, and, and to varying degrees, we're, we're pretty good at communicating it to others, and we're pretty good at, at owning that reality ourselves, that when we sin, we hopefully can say, but I, I know my, this sin is forgiven. So when it comes to the gospel of salvation, we're, we're okay. We understand it. But when it comes to sanctification... There's confusion or abdication with, the, with that gospel. In other words, we, we understand how to get saved, but we don't know how to grow in our relationship with Christ. We understand how to get saved, but we're not sure, how do I get better? How do I overcome the brokenness I see in my life? L let me explain it this way. Suppose you go home this afternoon and your neighbor comes, knocks at the door of your home. You open up the door and they say, you know, I understand you go to that vineyard church there, you know, the rocking chair place. And I have some questions. And you say, fire away. And they say, what must I do to be saved? Now, most of us, through one means or another, would be able to explain to the person how to be saved. You know, we might, you know, we would say, well, Jesus died for your sins, and if you pray and ask Jesus to come into your life and forgive your sins, he will forgive your sins, past, present, and future. You know, we might share the four spiritual laws, a little booklet that, you know, some of us have seen. We might go through the, the verses in Romans, the Romans road, you know, the bridge diagram. There are a lot of ways 
continues to communicate the gospel of salvation. And most of the church is pretty, un, pretty familiar and comfortable in, in knowing how to explain and knowing what the gospel of salvation is. But what if that, that, that same neighbor said, well, you know, I, I have a real problem with, with stealing. I'm a kleptomaniac. I just go in a store and I take things. And I have a, a real problem with, with anger. And, you know, we wouldn't say, oh, you want the gospel for angry kleptomaniacs. Because there's one gospel for everyone, for all of our brokenness. And we would share the gospel. But what if that neighbor comes back about three months later, knocks at your door, and says, you know, I, I know I'm forgiven. I, I know I, I asked for that forgiveness and God has forgiven me. But I'm still just full of anger. I'm still stealing. What should I do? That's where much of the church falls. And what we do and what we say is, you need to go and talk to a counselor. You need to go and talk to my pastor. Here's a book. Read the book. But we, so we're equipped with communicating how to get saved, but we're not really equipped with how do I help someone change? Or how do I help myself change? We're not sure what the, the process is. But the gospel of salvation and the gospel of sanctification, if we were to separate them, were never meant to be separated. They were never meant to be separated. It's, it's a, a phenomenon of, of 21st century that we hear people say, well, I, I really do know Christ as my Savior and I'm not really sure that I have him as my Lord. The apostle Paul heard that, he'd say, how do you have him as your savior and not have him as your Lord? We'd never want to separate the two. They were never meant to be separate. So the, the gospel of wholeness is just simply helping us so that we'll be just as equipped for ourselves or somebody else to know, explain, and enter into this process of transformation, cooperating with the, the, the hand of God as he's changing us, and understanding how that works as we are understanding salvation. Capiche? That's where we're headed. And we end up, because we don't know that, we end up having all sorts of gospel counterfeits. You know, we... We begin to try to help change people from the outside in. We, we say, well, you, you need to start memorizing verses. You know, we, you know, get some verses written out, put them on the mirror in your bathroom, on your desk at work. You know, you're having a problem with gluttony. Here's a good verse about gluttony. Put it on your refrigerator. Well, there's gluttony verses all across the United States on many, many refrigerators. And, and they're looked at every time the person opens up the refrigerator to get another piece of chocolate cake. You know, knowing the word is a good thing, isn't it? Say yes. Knowing the word is a very good thing. But knowing the word doesn't transform us. It puts us in a context that's very helpful, but it's not memorizing scriptures that change us. It's Christ 
through the Holy Spirit that changes us. Or we tell a person, you know, you're having a problem with this, you just need to get accountable. You need to get into some accountability relationships, you know, with your, your anger and with your kleptomania. And they join angry kleptomaniacs anonymous, you know, and they go to their meetings. And is accountability important? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does accountability alone change a person from the outside in for a while? It can, it can go only so far, far because it's Christ who transforms us. Accountability puts us in a context where Christ can get at us, but it's Christ that changes us. Or, or else we end up, we tell a person, well, you need to serve. You need to serve in the church, serve somewhere. Is service good? Yeah, absolutely, it's important. But, but service doesn't change us. It's not a matter of stay so busy and you won't be able to sin. Service is good, but it's Christ who changes us. Or, or you need to enter into some, you just need to work harder. When you get in the morning, I want you to say, I am not going to steal. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to steal. You're going to look in the mirror and say, I will not be an angry person. But self-effort doesn't change us. You know, so many of us have, have been going through what I call the, the devil's triangle, where, you know, we, there's an area in our life we want to work on, and we say, okay, I'm going to really take this on. You know, it's my, it's my resolution this new year. I'm, I'm going to deal with this issue, and I'm going to do it this time, only to find the second part of the triangle is, I can't do it. I've tried, but I, 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 fell, I failed again. Well, I give up. And then time passes. Okay, this time I can do it. I heard a great sermon, or I read a good book, or I feel really motivated. This time I'm going to deal with that issue. I failed. I give up. I'm going to do it. I fail. I give. And some of us have been cycling through this devil's triangle for, for most of our lives in certain areas. Because self-effort doesn't change us. Christ changes us. It's not that God has certain favorites, but some people just do better than other people at, at, at growing and knowing God. Or God just likes some people more than others. But it's not a matter of, of temperament or wiring. L let me say this clearly. Intimacy, dependency, and obedience to Christ is the result of delib the deliberate exercise of certain learned skills in cooperation with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like any relationship, it doesn't just happen for some and not for others. There are learned skills. When, when Penny and I were first married, we, we had great difficulty. We came from, from such different cultures. Great difficulty in learning how to connect. So we, we went to, you know, actually over our marriage, we've gone to three different counselors. And it's been tremendously helpful. Two of them have been helpful. The other guy, but it's been really helpful. Because we learned skills. It, we learned skills in communication. We learn skills in listening. We learn how to resolve conflict and so on. 
in relating to God and connecting to God and relating to the church and dealing with our brokenness and dealing with hurts and offenses from others, those are learned skills. And I want you to learn those skills. We're not going to be talking pop psychology. We're going to be using biblical terms over these next four or five weeks. And we're going to see those scriptures practically. We're going to learn how those scriptures can be put into effect in our lives, okay? Why don't you stand up? Here's, here's what I want to do today. There, there are some of us whose Christian life has just become, it's become a labor. We like it to be a labor of love, but it's just maybe more recently or for some time become just a labor because we, we feel like our, our heart and our desires are, are right. We want to walk with the Lord, but we just feel like there's a, a, a dryness, a distance. We feel maybe stuck in, in, our, in growing and hearing his voice. And I believe the Lord wants just to bring some refreshment today. And I'm going to invite you forward to, to get prayer for that. Also, let me say, I, I really felt like the Lord said last night, again this morning, that he wants to do physical healing. I believe there are people here who have various uh, problems with joints. I don't know if it's arthritis or, or what, but you have pain in, in various joints. A number of you. Who's that? Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, once you, once you guys get prayer today, I, I believe there are individuals here today who are, uh, who have infections, and, and you're, you may well be on antibiotics, you know, sinus infections and other kinds of infections that you're dealing with. Who's that? Raise your hand. Okay, once you guys get prayer. Uh, and, and also, I, I got this word last night. I do believe it's also for today. I believe there are people here who have conditions that affect your nerves. I don't mean you get nervous. I mean, they affect your nerves literally. You have pinched nerves. People who may have shingles and have pain, uh, uh, neuropathy. Uh, who's that? Raise your hand if you're dealing with, okay, once you get prayer. So here we're going we're gonna to go ahead and take the remainder of our time. Come forward right now if you just need refreshment, if you need healing, whether it's for one of these things or anything else. And let's make sure that everyone who comes forward has someone praying for them. If you're a part of this church, if you're a member of this church, you are part of our prayer team. Put your hand on their shoulder and pray a very technical prayer for healing. Come Jesus, heal them, okay? And let God touch them through you. Let's make sure everybody prays. We're going to sing one last song. Everyone needs someone praying for them. So we're going to need a lot of men, a lot of women coming up here. Sing, I've heard. And I've heard a thousand stories of what More men and women, please. Too much. 
Father, come right now in Jesus' name. Just open heaven up, pour out grace, refreshment. Lord, let us see you. Let us be touched by you. We, we speak to, to joints where there's pain. We say be healed in Jesus' name. Infections, we just, as Jesus told blind eyes to be opened, we, we tell infections to go by the power and grace of God. Tumors just shrink and disappear. Come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Release your power, refreshment, grace. Draw us into your purposes. Show us your love. Make us a people who have responded fully to that invitation into intimacy. Let it result to lives fully dependent on you so that we can be a people that walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.